SMQBs, episode 117. Playoffs? We are talking about playoffs. We've got a NBA Eastern Conference final recap. We stayed up late, watched Game 7 so we could talk about it on the pod tonight. We also had NHL uh, Conference Finals to talk about. Sorry, Pope, that didn't work out the way you wanted it to. We've got a live report from the Indy 500. Great experience, great result. Punchable face of the week. Ted Lasso and some buzzer beaters. Check us out. Leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. SMQBs, this is episode 117, coming to you late night. That's right, your committed podcasters. Live. Plus, plus Pope, we didn't get the tattoo yet. Um, the committed <laughs> ones are here. After the Celtics Heat game, we didn't want to we didn't want to record before the game, so we are coming to you late at night. But first, you know what 117 represents, guys? I think it was the number of Celtics fans left at the Garden <laughs> with about five minutes to go in the game because that was a straight beat down. Um, I mean, let's just get into it. This is where we are. House Rooster, you guys take the NBA. We got to talk game six to set the stage. But what did we just see? A really, oh, God. really crappy basketball team who scored 84 points in a game seven at home uh, against an uh, eight seed that had Jimmy The, the lowest scoring team in the NBA this year, the Heat. It's incredible. The, the, I mean, Rooster was just texting. Nobody really, nobody on here seriously knew who Caleb Martin was before these playoffs. And he just, what, what did he hit, go for? 26, 28? Yeah, yeah. And they still didn't guard him on the three-point line. Once. Every shot he took was wide open. I, so I, I, tonight wasn't a one-off though. He'd he'd been he had a pretty good series. Well, no, yeah. So they series. they they should have maybe figured him out by game seven. Well, so obviously, so what we had was the Heat jump out to a 3-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals, and and then you know everybody started talking, but there's never been a team in the NBA that's come all the way back from 3-0 to, to win a series. Never happened. Never happened. Never happened. We'd listen to that. And of course, what happens? It's three to one. It's three yeah, to two. Yeah, game four, Jeter and A Rod show up, and yeah, the, the jinx is on. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's it's three two, and then we have game six in Miami, where it comes down to uh, a final shot, and actually a final shot, and then a final shot. Right. Yeah. Well, and Johnny Damon uh, was at that game, so they were all thinking. 2004 Red Sox, they did a Kevin Millar hype video for that game. And the Celtics were ahead that whole game. They led most of the game six. Uh, They deserved to win it, and they almost gave it away in the end. Um, And and Derek White bailed them out after a really stupid foul by Horford on Jimmy. And the fact of the matter is, the refs, I think, got that all wrong. Uh, The foul was before the shot. No. 
which was at three seconds. Yeah. That was the, the, shot, the shot was launched at 2.7 seconds. And if so, if the foul was on the shot, there should have only been 2.7 seconds left. And Derek White wouldn't have had time to make that. Oh, you think that there should have been less time on the clock? Yeah. Well, I think the refs just sort of compromised on the call. It wasn't a shooting foul, but they, but they gave it, gave him the shots. I think wow. the, the heat were down eight, weren't they? With like, like 58 seconds to go or something, maybe a minute 20. Something yeah. Like they were down that, right? 10 with less than four minutes to go. Yeah. Then again, the Celtics just caved. The, I think, uh, I think there's, I think the Boston fans are going to be calling for some heads tomorrow. Yeah. Well, well so let's, so let's, let's finish up though. Game six, because we had, we had this, the shot, the three pointer, right. To win the game. You know, Boston gets a shot off after Butler's three free throws. The Heat are up one, and Boston has a shot, and it, it rims out. And out of the out of nowhere, this guy White comes in and yeah. tips it in. And and even then, it didn't look originally. You thought, oh no, maybe it was late, but clearly it it was out of his hand yeah. with point yeah. one, and clearly good. So you know, Boston wins Game Six with a with a crazy tip in um, that. You know, once the shot went up and rimmed out, you thought the game was over, and this guy kept playing to the to the buzzer and gets the tip in. And so, fast forward to tonight, and the Celtics are coming home. You know, House, you you said in a in a text, there's just too much talent on the Celtics team for the Heat to pull it out. You know, in Boston, this was the night we were going to see the the three zero comeback. Right, we we're gonna we we're gonna see it in the Celtics. We're gonna you know, be now battle tested going in to play Denver, right? I mean, that that was the storyline. The Heat did what the Sixers couldn't do, which was to go three and one in Boston Garden. They went three and one in this series, which is pretty remarkable. And the thing is, Rooster, I think rightfully so, has been riding this Celtics coach, Missoula, the, the whole playoffs. He seemed to be outmatched, but in game six, he coached a really good game. Right, I agree. He coached a really good game, and on that final play, I mean, the winner goes Missoula there, not Spolstra. On both sides of the miss, he had it prepped with White on the left and Tatum on the right. If that ball came off by Smart, either one of them was scoring, and Bam was in the lane in no man's land. And uh, he he was the better coach in game six, but tonight, Spolstra just ran circles around Missoula tonight. I mean, yeah. he, he what Spolstra understood is that the Celtics live and die at the three-point line, and if they're off and off early, they're dead. And that that's what happened. They, they, they were like one for 13 early on with one made by Horford, and it was over. Like Rooster said, it was over at halftime because they, they cannot score inside the perimeter, and particularly with the hurt Tatum, you can't slash. They have no, no other slashers, nobody else who can score inside the perimeter. It was, it was, like, it was like game three, exactly what happened in game three. Missed all those threes that started off, and then they just never what got, was, got back. What was the stat? What was the stat that they said that Tatum and Brown were two for twenty three or two for twenty six or something over yeah. threes for the yeah. last two games? Yeah, and then like some at some point in the second period, the Celtics were four for twenty one from three, and yet their entire offense was keep jacking up threes. You know, you heard the guys from TNT or TBS. Uh, complaining about that. It's like, it's not working. Every time you get to the paint, you're getting a good shot. So stop jacking up threes because you can't hit them. If you can't make a three, stop taking a three. It's can just ask, terrible question. question. What is Jalen Brown good at? 
Well, I mean, when he's why, why, playing why hard, he, playing hard during the regular season, that's what he's good at. <laughs> I mean, I just have when, team, when teams can't anything. scout him and when teams don't have the energy to, you know, play good defense, he cannot dribble in traffic. Period. Every every last two uh, play, you know, last two uh, playoff seasons, he has been terrible in the playoffs by turning the ball over constantly. He had eight turnovers tonight. He dribbles, he dribbles into traffic and gets the ball knocked away from him. Apparently he has tiny little hands. So when when the Celtics, can't hold the ball. When the Celtics lost the playoffs last year, the thought was yeah, that yeah. Brown and Tatum can't coexist because they both play this ISO game where they run the shot clock down and they try to beat the other team one on five through slashing and ISO. And there are times where Brown can do it. Tatum does it better than Brown, but that is still the game. And if the Celtics, maybe they can coexist. I don't, I'm not sure. They'd have to totally change the way they play. They cannot go forward and get a championship with that team in in Brown or Tatum just playing an ISO game. They can't. Look, I I mean, I, I pay attention to playoffs. I, you guys probably watch more basketball than I do, but th- there doesn't seem to be, I mean, Tatum and Brown, are not on the same level. I mean, Tatum is two or no three way. notches above yeah. Brown as right. far as being a player. I don't. It doesn't seem to be a matter of coexisting. I mean, I'm just not sure what you're getting from Jalen Brown. Yeah, I agree. He does not look special to me. I agree. You remember when when Brunson was on Dallas? You know, he could step up in games where Luca was in foul trouble or Luca was injured. Right. Jalen Brown is only good when Tatum is there. To, uh, to draw all the heat when t- this game was actually, I think this game was over after the first play when Jalen Brown rolled his ankle. There was no way yeah, they were Tatum, 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 Tatum. I mean, sorry, Tatum. Jason Tatum rolled his ankle on the first play. There was no way they were winning that game after that. And Jalen Brown disappears when Tatum isn't there to be the superstar because Jalen Brown just shrinks in the moment, in my opinion. Well, we should give props to the winning team. Uh, the, the, the Jimmy, Butler is pretty damn near close Rushmore status in terms of a playoff dog. The guy is just a dog in the playoffs. And Caleb Martin set a record tonight beating your man, Rooster, John Starks, as the highest scoring player in conference finals of an undrafted player in the modern draft era. Starks had the record with 124, and and Martin, I think, finished – with something like 138 uh, points in the conference finals. He he just really was the difference. This is a guy the Charlotte Hornets released. They just let him go. Yeah. But, um, I mean, where's he coming from? Well, even this game, I mean, th- this was, it showed you the difference though, in a team game versus the, like you said, how's the ISO, you know, drive one guy driving all the time. I mean, Jimmy Butler is, is Jimmy Butler. He's great, but he didn't have a 40 point night. He didn't take over this game at any point. I mean, maybe down down the stretch a little bit where he was just picking on Tatum at the end, but they were getting points and big shots from every everywhere. And there no name players them. scored like close to sixty points in that game. Yeah. What was yeah. the biggest biggest bucket of the game? Was what? I thought Jimmy's three when they had closed it to seven, and Jimmy pulled up and hit a three to bring it back to double digits. I thought that was the biggest bucket. Well, I, I thought, think I it was Caleb Martin that hit one when they were, yeah, it cut it to seven and they, it, it may have been, they, they may have done that twice, but Caleb I think they Martin, did. 
in the Kendall third Martin hit a big one in the third late late in the third quarter when they were making a run and they you know then they they went up by 12 and what was it 10 at uh, the quarter in the third period uh Derek White got the lead down to 8 points single-handedly he made like yeah three three baskets in a row a two a three and then a two and one and the, the next play down the court Jalen Brown pulls up five five yards short of the three-point line and jacks a three when no one's down there for a rebound yeah. and just killed, killed the rally. Just killed yeah. the rally. I mean, to me, is. that was the most important shot of the game. It just killed their only chance of a rally. Who do you think is uglier? Uh, Derek White, Trey Young, or Sam Cassell? Cassell. Uh, Trey, Trey Young. <laughs> Trey Young. Interesting late night question. Yeah, Trey Young. Trey Young and and Derek White have bizarre hair, but Cassell looks like an alien. <laughs> By the, the way, original, so the original was Dennis Brown for the Celtics. Oh, DJ. that guy. Yeah, yeah. Dennis well, so Johnson. so this is uh, suppose sixth finals in fifteen years. Wow, pretty impressive. We are not worthy. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And I imagine that everybody in Vegas right now is saying that it, it'll be uh, 4-0 Denver in the finals, right? Isn't that going to be the, the trendy pick? But I don't know how you pick against the Heat. At I least mean, how you don't see it as a dogfight. Well, I mean, right? you have to credit Spo at the end of uh, game six. You know, a lot of coaches could have been like, you know, a little down deflated bitter whatever um but suppose like we're just happy to have the opportunity to go and compete in a game seven we're thrilled i mean his his mental uh you know attitude certainly helped that team recover quickly from that loss yeah they they seem pretty even keel as a team right i mean this is and and you know the we talked about a little bit last week i think but you know, the jokes about heat culture, um, they're not jokes anymore, right? I mean, there is something about that franchise and the way they do business day in and day out that they are they are never out of a playoff series. The thing I like about Jimmy Butler is he doesn't talk like a lot of the superstars who are head and shoulders above the, all their teammates talk. Like, you know, my team, this, my this, my that, you know. He talks about the team as if they're all equals, even though he knows he's head and shoulders better. He's just a good leader. Um, you know, I let's say, con- contrast that to the way LeBron talks about his teammates when when well, they go when the going gets tough. Th- there was a time that all of us in text banter and stuff, when the Sixers first got Jimmy Butler, do you really want that guy? Do you really want that cancer in a locker room? That that was the rap that he had for a while. Um, I mean, he's obviously shed that he has really grown as a player and as a leader, but he got a bad rap for a long time. But well, in retrospect, he, he, he was speaking the truth. Yeah. To, that's to what I was say. Sixers uh, leadership by saying this Ben Simmons guy is a fraud. Yeah. I mean, that's the question is, did he get a bad rap or, and was it wrong? Right. I mean, did he, did he want out of places like Minnesota and like Philly because the guys there didn't want to play hard, didn't want to work hard day in and day out. Um, you know, that's, I think that's a little bit, you know, certainly that's what he thought of Ben Simmons uh, was, this is not a guy who's going to work hard. I don't want to be around him. 
So, I mean, you're, you're right. It's hard to know if he grew or if now, you know, he's just getting the, the, the recognition and before everybody sort of cast him as a, as a, you know, cancer. Well, there was a perception that he would be a great compliment player to a star like Joel Embiid, but never be able to carry his own team. And the thing was that, oh, Jimmy just wants to go and be and have like his own team. Well, it's unquestionable what the answer is now. Yeah. He's fully capable of having his own team because he's done it. He's taken his team to the finals. Let's yeah. not forget uh, to give, give a shout out to the city of Boston, who's the only city, <laughs> city in history to lose uh, to two eight seeds in both the NBA and NHL playoffs in the same year. Congrats to the Bruins in the Celtics. In game sevens, right? Yeah, in game sevens at home. Painful. You have pictures behind you of their two stars who were injured. In the playoffs, Next well, up is let's say. let's not let's not do the injury thing with the Celtics. I mean, Tatum did did roll his ankle tonight. He was healthy for six games, and and you know lost uh, three of those at home. Um, you know, I guess I guess one of them being tonight. So he lost two of his healthy games at home. Um, you know, yes, he rolled his ankle, but he was out on the floor, and you know, like they pointed out at the end of the broadcast, the the Heat had like the fourth most lost games this year, um, lost man hours or man games, whatever, you, whatever it is all season. And then we're without a 20 point score and Tyler hero, the entire playoffs. So, you know, before the, I think they even said this, one of the guys on the broadcast said, it, and it's, it's accurate before the Celtics fans start whining about the injury, uh, you know, next man up means something. So before we have our next pod, we're going to be two games into the, NBA Finals, uh, and I, I I'm starts interested. on the first. I think Thursday and Saturday are the first two games, right in Denver, and um, I guess for me, what I'm going to be looking for is which team can really, really set the pace. I think the Heat are going to need to slow that game down and limit possessions, and I think Denver's just going to want to keep running and play bully ball with Jokic, um, but. I know what you just said before about don't count the heat out, but sorry, I'm I'm counting the heat out against this Denver team. They they are on a mission, and I I can't I can't see them beating this Nuggets team. I just can't. I agree because Denver's everything the Celtics are not. They're well coached, and they have a movement offense. The Celtics stood around the three point line that whole game. It was it was really an awful game to watch. So what do you got? Toby, you got him. How many? Yeah, games? I, I'll go. I'll go. Nuggets and six, being generous to the Heat. Rooster, that's what I was thinking too. Nuggets and six. I got nope. Nugget. I got Nuggets and seven. Well, that would be fucking boring if I just went with the Nuggets, wouldn't it? I'm going to take the Heat. Yeah, since you're a full-on Heat fan now, you better take the Heat in six. But I'll tell you one thing: don't underestimate the fact that the Nuggets haven't played. It'll be nine days before that before Game One, and it reminds me of a game that the Philadelphia 76ers went into LA to play the Lakers after the Lakers had breezed through the playoffs. I don't think they had lost a single game. The Sixers had gone to, you know, elimination games, I think, every round. And Iverson went in there and led his team to beat the Lakers in game one. 
And, you know, the, the, the Sixers had, uh, had were battle tested. They had had the fight. The Lakers had coasted at time off and they lost game one. Now, let's not talk about the fact that what happened in the next four games in that series. But, but the fact is, is that time off can affect the team, can slow them down, get them out of rhythm. And the Heat are coming in playing really well. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think for the Heat to, to compete, they're going to need the addition of Tyler Hero. And he's had four weeks off. Yeah, well, he's going to be rusty, but he's, he's back. He's really rusty, but he's back. And, I, and that, that, that could make the series a little bit more interesting. He's, he's a legit, you know, semi-star behind Jimmy. Who yeah. replaced him in the lineup? I mean, it was a combination of Robinson and Struess. I mean, because both of those guys played great. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hero will come off the bench. Uh, you know, he's not going to get many minutes, at least the, the first game. He's going to get his, his win back, too. You should have fresh legs in a regard, but you're not you're not in game shape, no matter what you've been doing. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I think it'll be a fun series. I, I don't think it'll be a a, a blowout. Uh, I think I think it could go six or seven, but Heat and seven. I think, heat, I think the Heat needs to steal Game One. I think that's key to making it a long series. Because right, anything so, else on the NBA? Uh, one little fun stat: Kevin Love. Every time he's been to the playoffs, has been where? In the finals. Yep. Is that true? Yep. Every wow. time he's gone to the play, he's gone been in the playoffs. He's gone to the finals. Yep. That's wild. That is wild, isn't it? That's like uh, the X factor, Robert Horry. So, so he was never in the playoffs on the Timberwolves. That's possible. I think they're like not. years without going to the playoffs. Yeah. Wasn't that Robert Horry? Doesn't he have like eight rings or something? Yeah, yeah, big, big shot, Bob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, let's. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's too much to talk here, Pope. Um, we had an NHL uh, elimination game tonight. How did it turn out for your guys? Uh, we got eliminated in the first uh, <laughs> about five minutes. Three goals, just bam, bam, bam. Uh, it was it was a fun, you know, uh, for the first three minutes or so. Uh, crowd was into it. It's it. First hockey game I've seen in years. And, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs are just a blast to go to. And I'm telling you, it, it uh, Jim Mitchell called it. He said it was like watching Vegas. They were like a varsity team and stars were like a JV team tonight. I mean, Vegas was their passing was crisp. They were they were just throwing the puck, you know, on the net. They outshot him at one point. It was like two to one, like 20 to 10, 20 to 11. Uh, stars had no quality, like very few quality chances. Um, can't blame it on anybody other than, you know, the, the, I think the stars, what happened was Jamie Ben was out for two games and they, they played with that mentality to, to get back to Dallas. And that's what they were shooting for. And, you know, they just, for whatever reason, they didn't come out strong, uh, and they just got smoked. Um, now, I mean, I would think that Vegas would be favored uh, just based on regular season and based on, you know, what they've done in the Stanley cup so far, but how do you, under, how do you uh, overlook Florida? <laughs> I mean, what a story. I saw the first nine minutes or so of, of that game that you were at Pope. Yeah. I don't think I, in, I don't think I've seen that many shots on goal in in a, the first three minutes of a game yeah. ever. It was an onslaught. It was. It was brutal, and we were right in front of it. Oh, 
they could not get the puck out of their zone. I mean, it was it was brutal. The NHL cannot be happy about the uh, the two team, you know, Vegas and Florida being the two finalists. Who? It's not gonna, yeah, right. It's right. not it's not going to be great for for viewership. I mean, if a tree falls in the woods, no one's there to hear it. Does yeah. it make a noise? I mean, will will the Stanley Cup be awarded this year? Well, the game one is Saturday, so. Game two is not till Monday at eight. So maybe on Monday, we'll bring in our, our Canadian expert, see if we can get a rundown on the Stanley Cup playoffs. Just with only one, one game in underhand. By the way, just to contrast it with, with Boston, uh, South Florida has a lot going on right now to pay attention to. Hockey and, you know, they're going for the cup and the, and the basketball uh, at the same time. So it's going to be a lot of sports in in Miami, don't good luck trying to get a table at Prime One Twelve for the next ten days. Ah, yeah. So, are you gonna right. go see, are you going to go see a Stanley Cup game? No. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Not yeah. not likely. The transformation is not quite complete. Not likely. Yeah. Maybe uh, the caps will be the hardest to give up. Yeah. What do you mean? I haven't given up anybody. Oh come on! You've given up the Wizards practically. No, I, we, we the Wizards have a new GM. It's a very exciting time to be a Wizards fan. I could tell. We've got a, we've got a new GM who's uh, who's got a ton of success behind him where he, where he's left. It's exciting, but I have a lot of friends who are Heat fans. I'm rooting for them. So, uh, all right. Anything else on Stanley Cup? And the Stanley Cup will be awarded sometime in. Uh, July, probably. So, uh, okay. So a little different topic then. Um, I think to the, the Green and Schultz law firm out of Bloomington, Indiana, I had the privilege and pleasure of going to the Indy 500. Uh, and I will say this was always sort of a bucket list, uh, event for me. And it certainly, certainly lived up to the hype. Um, the, the, I mean, I don't think you can appreciate like, the size of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you can fit nine football stadiums in the grounds, like in the infield, if you put three aside, three rows. That's how large the track is and the facility is. And there are just grandstands everywhere. I mean, there was 350,000 people who attended the race yesterday. And it, it's... It's really, you know, so so it's interesting. I don't, I don't remember if somebody sent me the article if I sent it around to you all, but you know, the Indianapolis 500 is blacked out in Indianapolis. You can't watch it on TV. They replay it like at 7 p.m. But this is an unbelievable community event. Um, starting in May, the city just starts putting up signs everywhere, welcome racing fans, and you know, we went to what's called Carb Day. Uh, Friday before the race, it's not for pasta, which was very disappointing to me that I learned it was for carburetors. I thought there was going to be bread and pasta yeah, everywhere. Like there was not. Yeah, that's not what it, what it stands for. Uh, a little disappointing there, but I got over it. Um, but, you know, you, you go down to that and it's sort of like a practice round and there's there's a pit crew competition. Um, they actually have their qualifying the weekend before uh, the 500. And so, but then after that, um, we went to, to like house parties where people, you know, on a block are having like two, three houses in a row are having house parties that they're sharing. 
And I, I mean, just everybody is into it. I mean, everybody's there. And what was kind of cool was I kept asking everyone, you know, okay, well, who do you think is going to win? You guys, you've gone to, this is your 30th race in a row. This is your 20th race in a row. You've been doing this for 50 years. Who's going to win? I don't know. Don't I'm just care. here for the, I, I'm just here <laughs> for the party and for the race. They're like, I'll go. I, I don't know. But uh, AJ was, Foyt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, so, you know, the, the, the experience is, is one thing and people are super nice. I mean, the two days we were at the track, you know, you, you got people, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of boozing, um, not a single fight, not a single like aggressive, like push in the crowds. I mean, it's, it's really crowded. Um, the people are just really nice and they're there for, for a good time. And they're there to, to sort of celebrate this whole experience. Um, the racing, so, you know, we, we've all got into F1. Um, and I would say that, you know, F1 is a much more elegant product than the Indy car, uh, particularly on an oval. The racing is just flat out, go as fast as you fucking can and don't worry about anything else. I mean, there's no pinpoint turns. You contrast that with the, with Monaco, which, which I watched today. Um, and, you know, there's turns and there's tight little, you know, chicanes and, chicanes. and twists and turns that you have to go through. At debris. Uh, at debris. I mean, the, the track is so large, you can have four cars side by side at a time at, at Indy. And so the racing is just much faster. The pit stops are, um, like I said, they're, they're less elegant. I mean, they're. How, how many cars start the race? 33 cars, 11 rows, wow. three, three wide wow. each row. Wow. Um, and, and the race, the actual race, the 107th running of the Indy 500 was probably one of the most exciting races they've ever had. It was, I think they went 94 laps or a hundred laps or something without any caution at all. Uh, then they had the first wreck and then you got down to the last 16 laps and it was like a bunch of drunk 15 year olds taking their, their cars out, their parents' cars out for the weekend because everybody was wrecking at that point. And, and the, the drama of the whole thing was there was a, there was a wreck with like eight laps to go. And on the restart, uh, this guy, Erickson, who was the defending uh, champion, he got, he, he squeezed by Marcus Erickson squeezed by the two leaders uh, at the time. And he got in front and it looked like he was in good shape. And lo and behold, there's another wreck. And I think another wreck. I mean, there were so many wrecks in the last 16, but the big drama was with three laps to go, they red flagged the race, which I'm told and I've confirmed is very rare. They, they have finished the Indy 500 under yellow many, many times. Uh, and so the idea of having a, a one lap, basically one lap to start and then a rolling green flag to finish the race. That's how it was going to end. That That is very unusual for IndyCar. Uh, now, some of the conspiracy theorists will say that the guy in second place was a Penske, Roger Penske-owned uh, driver, and the track is owned by Roger Penske. So there was some conspiracy talk there, but you know, it doesn't seem to be any connection between Penske and the stewards who are making those calls. And, so from the a, stands, can you see just about the whole track? There's parts of it you can, but but not where we were. 
but there's so many TVs and they have a, you know, they have a, a live broadcaster up there. The TV coverage was pretty good from where we were sitting. We could see huge screens. Uh, so we knew what was happening. We knew, I mean, where we were sitting, we saw the the back, the back, you know, straight away. Uh, and so Joseph Newgarden, who is really, he's, I guess he's, you know, in his 12th year, he's a two-time Indy Cup champion. He had never won the 500. A lot of people said this was the only hole in his resume. He's been really one of the great drivers. And he pulled away and, and just made a great move on Marcus Erickson, got past him on the third, third, uh, third corner there. And, and after that, it was just a, an all out sprint to the finish. And, and Newgarden won it. He finished it. Uh, he stopped his car. He got out. And not only did he climb the fence, uh, uh, like the Helio Castronovas has done in the past, he actually went through the fence and ran into the stands and celebrated with the fans in the first row and just got mobbed by everyone before he came back down and went back onto the track. It was, it really was high drama. It's very exciting racing to watch. There's tons of passing. And, and I, I will say, you know, I, I like F1. I'm, I'm not switching over, but F1 has to figure out a way to have these cars going wheel to wheel and passing more because, you know, they're just, there, there's, I don't know how many different cars. I think there were 14 different leaders of the Indy 500 uh, at one point during the race. Um, and it was, you know, it's just when you can have that kind of passing, uh, it's exciting. I mean, I don't, I don't know that, that you would get that even if you had, um, you know, even if you had a little bit of a wider track, certainly not in, in uh, Monaco, you don't get it, but very exciting experience. I think everybody should want to check out the Indy 500. You should, how many, you should how many teams that. are there? How many teams are there? Why so many questions, Bob? I don't know. No, I, I don't know. I don't know how many teams there are. Well, I'm just wondering. Good I mean, question. Like, do they do they have a uh, comparable to Williams and Haas and they have teams? Yeah, right. They do. No, like, no, no. McLaren like, has a team. Zach Brown was there. Teams he that suck there. that have no chance of winning. Do they have those teams? I don't think so. Everybody have a chance. Well, somebody mu somebody must have no chance of winning because Roman Groschan is driving for them. <laughs> That's funny. That's really uh, so, by the way, by the way, it was also Tony Kanan's last race. Uh, he's retired, and he had a very um, a respectable showing. At one point, I saw he was in the top ten. He did. They did a lot of um, a lot of nice tributes to him at the beginning of the race. And uh, the, the the joke there is that nobody believes he's actually retiring. I oh, think really? he's done this two or three times in the past. He, yeah. Here's the real question: Which is the better partying, F1 partying or Indy 500 partying? Well, let's just say one of them is is a martini and <laughs> uh, and steak crowd, and one of them is a Miller Lite and Jello shot crowd. Okay. <laughs> so the so. Indy 500 is a more fun party. Got it. It was, I mean, listen, we had a, an absolute blast at it. And, and, I, and I'm being a little tongue in cheek with that. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's, they're both fun. They're, they're different kinds of parties. You know, look, the Miami Grand Prix is a, is a CNB scene, you know, sort of spectacle. I think a lot of F1 is like that. I'd really want to compare Indy to um, the, the Austin F1 race. That's that's what I think would be a good comparison to see how the the partying is and the crowd is there. 
Um, but I, I couldn't, I can't say enough good things about the experience and the people. And it was just, you know, just a great thing. And I, I would encourage everyone to put that on their bucket list and, and do it once. And That's I'd like awesome. to do it again. So, and, and good for, uh, Joseph Newgard. And it was, it was really an exciting race too. I think uh, the cars, I think the cars look a lot different. Well, there's, you were down there. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're smaller. Um, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're, they're similar in that they're open wheel, right? They're all cart based sort of right. race and you're open wheel. Um, but they're much, they're much shorter. Uh, and they, you know, they fuel them up with gasoline during or with whatever fuel they use, uh, during the race. So it's, you know, they, they're stopping a bunch. I think they pit four or five times, uh, and they're putting, they're putting new tires on every time and they're, um, and they're putting fuel into the vehicle every time. So, you know, the, certainly the, um, you know, I, I, I guess the whole, the whole setup is very different on the car than an F1 car, but they're not meant to do the things that an F1 car does, right? I mean, these cars, the average speed was probably 223, 224 miles an hour average. I mean, we don't we don't really see uh, an F1 car get up above 202, 203 miles per hour, even on, on a DRS straightaway. But they're also making pinpoint turns at 80 miles an hour. So, you know, the setups on these vehicles are very different. They're both they're both unbelievable, you know, feats of engineering. They're just there to do different things. Is the strategy the same as far as, you know, the tires and when to pit and or is it completely different with that one i think it's i think it's different in the sense that that you're burning through these tires so quickly that you're gonna have to pit yeah you're gonna have to pit three or four times um there is a limit on tires that you can use but it's like you know i think it's like you have 34 sets of tires for the whole for qualifying for the weekend so it's not quite like f1 there there are some limitations on it but I don't think they have different treads on them either. So um, the only other thing I'll say about it is it was a little scary. There were some really scary crashes. And the scariest part of one of them that we have to talk about, at least mention, is a tire that went off of a car and just missed going into the grandstands. It did clear the safety fencing and it went through an opening in the grandstand, basically a gap between grandstands, and it actually caused serious damage to a vehicle in the parking lot. Um, but you know, they've had deaths at races before from debris and from tires going in. And this was a tire that went, I mean, it is very lucky that it didn't go into the grandstand. Uh, and certainly the track is going to have to figure out what to do about that because. I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't even close. It, it cleared this thing easily. And, and the speed, I mean, the damn tire must have flown 300 yards. I mean, from where, from where it came loose, if not more. So that's, that's the kind of force that you're talking about. There's no way if that hits you, I, you don't have a chance. I mean, there's just no, no matter how big or strong you are, that kind of power coming at you is, is deadly. So. Uh, they'll definitely have to to address that. That was the one little blemish um, on the day. So that was it. Check it out. It's uh, it's uh, it's a fun experience. Everyone should go try and get to an Indy 500. Added to the bucket list. Yep. All right. With that, 
who's got a punchable face. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kuja with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Yeah, I I have a a short one to say that tonight on the on the floor, you saw refereeing Scott Foster and Tony Brothers, but who you did not see was uh, Eric Lewis. And uh, it may not be because he wasn't the best graded official. It may be because the NBA is now investigating Eric Lewis because he's been secretly using a Twitter burner account to defend himself. This guy, Eric Lewis, is known to be kind of a lifelong uh, Celtics fan and his family in their own social media is always dressed up in Celtics gear, rooting them on. And it's not to say that a ref can't have family that roots for a team. Okay, you can still officiate a game. Okay, but your, your whole job as a ref is to be unbiased and never even have the appearance of being biased. And this doofus went out and apparently got a Twitter burner account called Cutliff Blair. And anytime somebody went on Twitter and criticized the real Eric Lewis as a ref, Blair Cutliff would come on and defend Eric Lewis. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so somebody just kept finding that this is weird. There's some dude that keeps defending it. And I think it's actually a burner account and someone pretty much outed him. And now the NBA is investigating him. And if it turns out to be true, I won't, I don't think you're going to see Eric Lewis officiating many more games than the NBA. And so I, I, I had the arm raised to punch. I guess I can't release it yet because if people are presumed innocent until found guilty, but I have a feeling there's going to be a postscript on this where the punch is going to be unleashed on Eric Lewis. I hope not. And that's my almost punch of the week. Almost punch. That's a little bit below milk slap, I think. So <laughs> yeah, right. we'll leave it out there, though. All right. Yeah, that definitely, uh, as, uh, as, as one of our fearless leaders likes to say, watch this space. Yes. <laughs> so. Okay, who's got a lasso? Barbecue sauce. I have a short one. Um, so you know, when we when I was younger, the relief pitchers used to get the Rolades, you know, reliever of the year award. At least in the American League now, it's it's known as the Mariano Rivera American League Reliever of the Year Award, which doesn't have quite the same catch to it. But the guy who won that in 2020 and 2021, and then in 2022 had 41 save opportunities and converted on 37 of them, was Liam Hendricks, arguably the best relief pitcher in baseball in the early 2020s and then last less than five months ago announced that he had cancer and had to um, step back from baseball and get cancer treatment well the team announced he had non-hodgkin's lymphoma 
the team announced uh, the other day by video that he was back on their active roster. He's he's been pitching in their minor league system, and he's going to be back and probably in June pitching for the White Sox. So it's amazing comeback story. He looks a little out of shape. He's a little rusty. I think his ERA is up over ten in the minor leagues, but he'll get back. And he's cancer free, so it's a, it's a great story. Good for Liam. Amazing. Really great story. Yeah, really great story. Any other lassos? Buzzer beaters. House, I know you got one. I have two short buzzer beaters. Uh, on top of the improbable run of the Miami Heat, who uh, are an eight seed to make the NBA Finals, we have two improbable stories in sports. Uh, the Luton Town Hatters, who uh, in the 2000s had dropped out of professional football altogether in England, they there are five divisions of professional football in England, and you can keep climbing up those divisions. And in the span of about nine years, they climbed up one by one, division by division by division, and uh, in a playoff that is the the final uh, spot to move up into the top division in English football, Premier League, Lutontown won. The scenes from this proud town that everything surrounds football were incredible. The stadium, it would be like one of, I don't know, a, a Texas high school football stadium compared to like the Superdome or something. The stadium there holds 10,000 people. And most of the, British soccer stadiums hold five, at least five times that. Um, so it's it's it is a crazy story that teams like Man City and Man U are coming through, literally walking through someone's home, basically the entrance to a home, and you go through like a little crevice to get to the get to the uh, supporters stands. But it's a pretty cool story. That was a good buzzer beater, and I got a shout I, out. I, wait, I got I got to tell you, I think that's a lasso almost. Yeah, it is, that's it a is. really good story. Especially the video of the townsfolk. Selling. Yeah, I mean, it was again, amazing. Isn't that like the essence of Ted Lasso? Yeah, I think that's a lasso. Well, then you've not only been promoted to Premier League Luton Town, but you've been promoted from buzzer beater to lasso. So congratulations! Yeah. Woo, that's probably more uh, important. Spot promotion. And I, this is bordering on lasso, but it's too much of a Homer story. But Tulane baseball team was sixteen and forty, and they went into their conference final. It's the only way that they can make the equivalent of the NCAA basketball tournament. Like you got to win your conference. Otherwise you're done for the season. And they ran through everybody, including a top 12 team in the country, East Carolina to win in really improbable. Their, their team starting ERA was 7.90. And that, that, that team just ran the table, won the AAC and is now in the NCAA tournament for baseball at 19 and 40 and we'll play LSU this Friday. I'm sure there'll be smoke, but it was a good story nonetheless. So I got to give them a buzzer beater um, to wrap it up. It could be UConn's year in baseball too. By could the way. Be. <laughs> Any other I buzzer a, beaters? I got, a, yeah. I got a quick question for the group. Who made more money with their victory this weekend? The winner of Indy 500 or the winner of the Live DC Golf Tournament? Oh, oh the Live the live DC golf tournament. Four million to Harold Varner and three point six to the winner of the 
biggest you know racing event in the world. Wow. Yeah. Let that soak in. Well, Varner Varner made no bones about the reason he moved over. He, he said it's the only way he's going to make that kind of money. Yep. That is crazy stat, though. Well, I'll give a quick shout out to Georgetown Baseball, who for the first time in program history made the Big East Tournament two years in a row. And they set all sorts of records uh, for the team, for the for the school this year. Uh, they didn't last very long in the Big East Tournament, unfortunately. But the program has just completely turned around, and it's actually uh, it's it's a it's on its way. It's only going to get better. Uh, you know, kids are getting drafted out of the school now, and they're getting some big time recruits. So shout out to them. Uh, they came up short in the Big East tournament, but second year in a row, first time they've ever pulled that off. I think speaking of UConn, I think they're the class of the Big East, right? I yeah, think, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else this week? Every, I hope All everybody right. had a great Memorial Day. Yeah. Happy Memorial yeah. Day. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. All right, guys. Have a good hope, hope the Boston folks have some memories. Have a good, have a good short week. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.